Harris. We're going to talk about the Gospel Coalition today, and I'm going to jump right into it. Before I do, I'll say one quick thing. Check out the link in the info section if you haven't signed up yet to come to the men's retreat, uh, October 28th through 30th. You're definitely going to want to come. Russell Fuller's going to be there. We're going to have a great time. We're going to do outdoor stuff as men. And um, some people have asked me about rides. And John, I'm coming to New York, New York City. Uh, is there a ride I can get? Um, I, I have had now, I think, two people talking about coming from New York City at least. I'm sure there's more. When you do sign up, put in the comments that where you're coming from. Or email me. Let me know. Better to put it in the comments. But email me. And I'm going to do my best to coordinate people. So we don't have like people renting cars when they don't need to because there's people coming from the same area. So uh, would love to see you there at the men's retreat. Check uh, out the link in the info section. It's a great price. It's going to be a great time. Now, let's talk about the Gospel Coalition, shall we? Uh, we talked about the Gospel Coalition so much. And I just had the other day, someone emailed me. John, like, tell me why the Gospel Coalition is bad or something. It was something along those lines. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, where do I start? Like, there's, I mean, it's not like every single article is terrible or anything. It's just that they, they move the Overton window left. Look at their, their documents. Look at their founding documents, their charter documents. You can see what they're about from the beginning. It's not like they hit all of it or anything, but it's, there's just some really cringy stuff, some really bad stuff that they've put out there. And I've talked about a lot of it. I don't know how many articles because I haven't like kept count, but I, I would guess I've probably talked about it at least. I would guess by now I've probably talked about over 50 articles from the Gospel Coalition. What do you think? 50? I mean, I've talked about a lot of articles. And Andy Robles has probably talked about even more than me. I mean, he really uh, goes after them. But I want to give you just in the last like week and a half, there's just been so many things the Gospel Coalition has been taking a beating. Uh, we'll put it that way a little bit. And I, I'm going to show you, like, this is just an example. It, it, it's hard to quantify because there's there's so much of it in a way. But I just want to show you, like, this is um, this is what's going on at the Gospel Coalition. So uh, let's start here. Oh, I was going to, I forgot about this. I was going to just share. Okay, I'll briefly share this. A few thoughts on why I'm not on Twitter. I've shared this before. People, though, still ask me sometimes, John. Why aren't you on Twitter? Can you go on Twitter? Um, it's stuff like this that makes me not want to. James Lindsay was suspended. And the reason James Lindsay was suspended was because someone reported him for some kind of hateful comment he made. Now, the thing is, Twitter allows all kinds. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there, from what I hear, there's, and I don't even have to hear it, honestly. I see the ads Twitter puts out there. It's semi-pornographic. I mean, they have, they have stuff on there that is so offensive to Christian sensibilities. And yet, uh, at the same time, you can, you, you can't say what, you know, certain, I don't know what he said exactly, but you keep, whatever he said, you can't say it. I think it had something to do with uh, groomers or something. He said something that offended sexual, um, uh, deviant uh, people who practice sexually deviant behavior. So there you go. Um, that, that's, I don't want to, I mean, I know I'm on Facebook and I, but I, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, I just really want to give more of my efforts to places like Gab and, and places like Truth Social, places that, that actually aren't going to cancel me um, because of my Christian beliefs. When you have uh, organizations like Twitter that have a thumb on the scale as they are allowing discourse to take place. It's You're not getting accurate dis. I don't even know what I'm getting. Am I getting an accurate algorithm? I don't even know. I don't even know that on Facebook. I mean, I've been shadow banned before. So it's just, it's not a place I want to invest time. They're getting money for having me on there. I mean, advertisers pay them to get to me. So 
it's um there, there's a lot of reasons but that's just one of them and it just reminded me of it all right let's go to tgc let's talk about it let's talk about the gospel coalition and um and so um we're gonna play some videos we're gonna talk about some things let's start with this, this video from sam albury this is uh recently august 5th 2022 how to discuss sexuality in a post-christian culture how to discuss sexuality in a post-christian culture and the quote that tgc decides to post on their twitter is we don't live in a moralistic age where we need to prove people to be sinners we live in an anxious anxious sorry i can't say that word we live in an anxious there we go age where we need to prove to people they're worth something so we don't need to live, we don't live in a moralistic age where we need to prove people to be sinners. We live in an anxious age where we need to prove to people they're worth something. So you don't have to prove to people they're sinners, you have to prove they're worth something. Okay. I mean, there there is no age, by the way. The Bible doesn't like give you these categories. There's no age where it's like you, you know, this age, you don't have to prove that someone's a sinner. I mean, people need to be convinced that they're sinners. Um are you really, are you convinced that everyone thinks that, you know, oh, they just don't know that they're worth something, but they all know they're sinners. I mean, I'm pretty sure most people don't think they're sinners. It's a weird comment. And it's subversive because if churches believe this, if Christians believe this and they say, well, I don't have to prove to people, I don't have to take them through the good person test or something. Where does that leave us? I just got to go tell them they're worth something. Well, so someone knows they're worth something now, but doesn't have the cure for the cancer they have. Let me play for you some clips from this. Uh, you're going to be hearing a lot of uh, Sam Albury, uh, and then who else is on this? Uh, Brent McCracken. You're going to be hearing a lot of Brent McCracken uh, on this as well. Uh, here we go. I'm also seeing at the same time something of a fairly worldly reaction to that very trend as well. Um, we're seeing more indications of anti-trans um, kind of things, anti-LGBT as a general type things. I think we're going to see more of an ugly response to the trend that you've mentioned alongside the trend itself continuing. And I think one of the challenges that will give us as Christians is how do we not be with those guys without looking like we're with these ones and making sure that our own um, questions, concerns, disagreements are not seen to be siding with what I think is going to be a very aggressive and, and godless reaction to those things. So being willing to to critique both of those trends as we as we see them. So it may, that may make life a little bit lonelier, actually, because I think each side is going to assume if you're not fully with us, you must be with, with the others. Yeah. So we'll get caught in the middle, I think, and I think we're just going to have to to live with that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm like Sam, I, I'm always a little skeptical when anyone says exactly how things are going to play out in the next five to 10 years, because there really is no inevitable trend toward anything if you believe in a sovereign God who upsets and upends trends all the time. So the, I, some of the signs that Sam is talking about where, where there's been something of a backlash uh, when it comes to um, the, there, there's a, with, with the, the transgender uh, uh, subject in particular, uh, those theories require an ontological shift, an actual shift in a, its overall cosmology, which the whole LGBTQ conversation requires that as well if we're discussing marriage and, and other things. If you can see it back there, it's actually a, a different cosmology that's at, that's at root. Um, and, but but the, the, the transgender one is one that feels immediately more costly 
to, to ordinary people. So the, the question about um, women's sports, for example, and, and things like, there's going to be a lot of, I think there will be a lot of conversation about that in the next few years. And like Sam said, some of it is not going to, it, it's going to be a worldly pushback. So it won't be, there won't be the fragrance of Christ with that. Um, and I think that's one of the areas where, where Christians will need to stand out both from the LGBTQ push, but as well from, from some of that backlash will not uh, be the way that, that Christ would, would have responded. So, uh, so that, that's a, that is something for, for sure that I think we will, we will be wrestling with. As, as Christians, we have the opportunity to raise sexuality away from the sort of it's nothing, casual sex is fine as long as it's consensual, to, to raise the, the value of what sex is and to show the preciousness of it while at the same time demoting it from those who would make it their sole identity or, or would find their identity intertwined with it to an extent that actually reduces them as a human being. It's reductionistic to define yourself in your most fundamental being by sexuality. That's actually a reductionistic uh, part of the... Uh, a vision of humanity that the Bible actually gives us a better and uh, um, a stronger uh, sense of the value and worth of humanity that transcends anything, anything like that. So I, I do think we have an opportunity to stand out um, in, in this environment, but it will be, it will be a challenge. We've, we've realized the spirit has come to convict of sin and the danger is we feel very, very convicted about other people's sins. And it's very easy within a given church context to, to excuse the majority sins yeah. and to focus on the minority sins. The church shouldn't expect to see repentance in the world before the world is seeing repentance in the church. So if we're, if we're modeling the very kind of repentance we're talking about, I was struck by that comment about the Romanian situation. And the gospel gives us a certain posture, doesn't it? Whereas I think the, the, the thinking of the culture that as we've expressed it so far gives a very different kind of posture. It's a very aggressive, assertive, refusing to, to be wrong kind of posture. I think a, a gospel-shaped posture that is, is humbled and joyous at the same time will itself be quite compelling. People might not, not like what we're saying, but they'll be intrigued by what we're believing is is doing to us as people so you see three things in that basically in, the, in this discussion one is uh that sexual identity is somehow reductionistic that if you think if you define yourself based on your sexuality that's reductionistic i'd like to suggest something else god actually made you a sexual being and i'm not saying just physically uh you have gender i'm saying ontologically deep down inside you're a man, you're a woman, God made you a certain way. You're not genderless when it comes down to who you are uh, deep down inside. And so um, that's, it's not reductionistic to say that that's one of the core things. That's one of the core elements of who I am. Yeah, sure, I'm a man. That's one of the core definitional things about John, that he's a man. And, that, and, that, and, and sexually, or if you want to even say the, the sexual associated behavior with being a man um, and that, that that would be also part of who what makes me me, how I was designed by my creator. So sure, um, th that's that's one of the things I hear a lot. I've heard it for years now coming from gospel coalition types is 
like well, we should just see that we transcend this that we're so much more that we're like okay yeah we, we're, we're more than that but we are that <laughs> and that is very important it is, that's one of the things that that um that does help show us who we are that makes us who we are and it's not even just a physical thing so uh that was one of the things uh the other thing and, and th this would be something by the way i should just say that for thousands of years people would look at you strange if you tried to make that like what do you mean like i'm just that's part of who i am like i am a, i'm a man <laughs> um well you're so much more than that don't define yourself by that what <laughs> well what what should i what, i'm a soul i'm made in god's image but it's like there's but there's more to it there. Like deep down, intrinsically, ontologically, I'm made in God's image and God's given me personhood and identity and something unique that separates me from other human beings. I can't quantify it all. But part of it is I'm a man. So uh, the church uh, has not repented too enough. A church is so inadequate. You, you saw this, you see this all the time. Churches, they haven't repented. They're focusing on the minority sins and not their own. What hypocrites. So, so you have that playing in this. And then you have... Um, that we have to, that there's this, this horrible anti-trans movement that refuses to be wrong and is aggressive, in Sam Albury's words, and that the church can't get on board with that. Now, I don't know what he's talking about. I, I, don't, I really don't. I, I genuinely don't know what he's talking about. But, um, okay, so, so this apparently exists, and that's a problem, and the church just needs to be careful. I don't know what world he's living in. I'm, not, I'm seeing more the aggression and the refusing to be wrong and all. That's coming from the other side, and it's growing. So... I don't know what world these people live in. It's very strange to me that they, they see this big anti-trans push, uh, a secular anti-trans push. I, maybe I'm missing something. Put in the comments in the info section if I'm missing something here. But th this is what it's about. And, and the title, of course, uh, of this was, let me see if I can uh, pull it up again here. It was um, how to discuss sexuality in a post-Christian culture. There you go. How to discuss sexuality in a post-Christian. So that's how you discuss it. You you, I guess you have to admit you're wrong or be open to you being wrong. Don't be aggressive. We know that. Uh, and don't define yourself by your sexual identity. This is just a recipe for failure and disaster, and it's the same failure and disaster that TGC has been engaged in for a while. It's It doesn't have any attachment to the Christianity that came before it, uh, not, not the, the orthodox mainstream teaching that the church has... Uh, endorsed for thousands of years. This is innovative. This is new. Okay, so TGC took some hits over this, but especially that comment from uh, from Sam Albury that basically you don't need to prove to people they're sinners. Uh, and then, um, so that was recent. And then this, uh, this took place. Uh, this was something that actually was old. It's from June 24th, 2021. I guess no one caught it though. William Wolf pulled it up. And I think he might've seen this on Instagram, maybe TGC. They sometimes will revolve all old articles and quotes from them. And I think he saw TGC post this from an article from last year, but there's, um, he, he the, the article is called, how should we respond? How should I respond to a colleague's same sex wedding? Let me read for you a quote. Every culture and nations must find common consent in public ethics, specifically on what is prohibited, permitted, and promoted for the common good. True toleration must include li living peaceably with deep differences. Most Western nations have extended marital status to arrangements other than heterosexual monogamy. The wise Christian will affirm the legal right of consenting adults to order their lives without fear. Yet that right doesn't entail affirming the goodness of these arrangements. Believers can be good neighbors to all while diverging on some social issues. This is the heart of peaceful and pluralistic society. This is the principle pluralism stand. This is 
I, I had my, I was uh, taught this when I was in seminary, principal pluralism. So it's more important for us to maintain pluralism than maintain uh, righteous ethics in the civil realm. Uh, so we, most Western, it says, most Western nations have extended marital status to arrangements other than heterosexual monogamy. The wise Christian, the wise Christian will affirm the legal right of consenting adults. There you go. They're pro, that's pro same-sex marriage. The wise Christian will affirm the right of consenting adults to order their lives without fear. Yet that right doesn't entail affirming the goodness of these arrangements. So you, you should, consenting adults should, this is a right thing. Why is it a right thing? Well, because that's the cost of living in a pluralistic society. There, there is a limitation to when you live in a totalitarian pluralistic society, it's not really put that. See, that principle pluralism thing is secularism, basically, that there's this common, neutral, secular ground we can all live in. And, you know, we won't hurt the LGBT group, the groups, they won't hurt us. We can all live in harmony. Problem is that man is religious and there's going to be a religion that will hold sway. There, now, you can live in, I think, what we had at the foundation of this country, a basically Christian country in its social ethics, its mores. You had different denominations represented, but it was basically Christian and it was majority Christian. It's not anymore. And that means that there's a gap and the gap is being filled by humanism or secularism, whatever you want to call it. Social justice, you could say. It's its own religion and it's totalitarian. There is no negotiating with it. It just, it conquers, it wins. And so this idea that we can just, if we affirm pluralism, then we should be able to be fine with homosexual, uh, heterosexual, or sorry, homosexual marriages. Um, yeah, that's TGC again. Yeah, this, and this is fundamentally what's at conflict with the Christian nationalist position. Christian nationalists today, the way that it's often described, they don't, they reject the principle of pluralism. They say, look, we're a Christian country. Okay, that's basically what they're saying. We operate, and they're not saying everyone's a Christian. They're not saying, I, I idolize, not, not all of them at least, they're saying, I idolize America. They're just saying, we operate uh, from Christian morality. Then we have this one. Here's an, it's, it's August 9th, 2022, that Paul's teaching frees the conscience of Christians to vote for political candidates that display radical unchristian behavior. The article is called, Can I Vote for a Sinful Political Candidate? Now, the first thing I thought of, probably you th you're thinking the same thing as Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Well, is this a, an apologetic for Donald Trump? I don't think it was intended for that, but why not, right? Uh, here's what it says. I argue that Paul's teachings free the conscience of Christians to vote for political candidates that display radically unchristian behavior. This is because Paul is taking for granted the rules in Rome are depraved pagans, uh, yet he instructs the Roman church to engage in symbiotic relationship with them. So basically the argument in this is that Paul in Romans 13 says, Basically, we got to submit to government and we got to honor the king. And this is what scripture teaches. And because of that, that means we can vote for candidates. Now, it's it's a stretch. I don't see where he makes this jump, but that's his argument that, that because we're supposed to honor the king, we can vote for uh, non-Christians because, wait, the king would have been, the, the rulers in Rome would have been non-Christians. So if that logic doesn't make sense to you, you're in good company. It doesn't make sense to me either. Uh, we have to honor people who are in charge I mean, I have to honor my boss, even if my boss isn't a Christian and I wouldn't have picked that particular boss. But if I'm working, I have to honor that boss. I mean, it's like I have to honor my parents, even if they're not Christian and I didn't choose them. And so, so, OK, like it, it's, it's just strange to me. Uh, if you have the opportunity to choose your boss or you had the opportunity to, to choose your parents, let's say you're in a foster system or you're going to be adopted. I mean, you you. Well, because you're supposed to honor your parents, I guess you can just choose whatever parent you want, even if they're not like, what? What is that? So uh, I don't really want to go through this anymore. That's the logic of it. And it's, it's kind of weird logic. But TGC puts this out there. 
I think a lot of people who are suspicious of TGC thought, well, they're saying you can vote for Democrats. And I think that probably is what they're saying. But I'm just saying you could reverse this and say, yeah, you can vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> That's, you know, why not use it? Uh, the, the opposite of maybe the intentions that are there. Okay, here's one again. The Gospel Coalition, if the Enneagram is used simply as a classification tool, it sh- uh, should be used, it should be left up to the Christian conscience. And the article is by Joe Carter. What Christians should know about the Enneagram? August 8th. Some evangelicals, it says, find the Enneagram to be a useful tool. It's a useful tool, just like that critical race theory. It's a useful tool for gaining personal awareness and for learning about people. They don't have a personal history with, such as members of a new church plant. When the Enneagram is simply used as a diagnostic tool or a personality classification, the question becomes less clear. Despite its origin story, which is occultish, I guess, uh, there may be enough of the Enneagram that remains useful or at least not harmful if that's the case. So he's saying, can't we just spit out the bones, chew the meat? Um, He said, we should proceed with caution and uh, don't make weaker brothers stumble. But if they begin to think new age oriented tools of self-discovery are also legitimate, that would be bad. But we should be willing to abandon the Enneagram altogether for their sake. But that's the only that's the best. Def, you know, so so the, I, I see I'm not like overly familiar with the Enneagram. My understanding, though, and the history they even given here is this came from occultism. This came from this is totally demonic. Uh, and it's been synthesized and marketed just like Americans tend to do with new age stuff and all kinds of things. It's now been promoted to Christians to use as this tool. And so so I would ask where you draw the line. Is the Ouija board a useful tool? Just like take out the demonic stuff. I mean, can you take out the demonic stuff? That's the question. Like, I don't, is that even possible or is it part and partial to what it is? Um, you can have a pagan philosopher discover things. You can have like the Pythagorean theorem, okay? And it can be a useful tool because it conforms to reality. It's not, uh, it, its source is not, demonic it's just this is the way the world works it's a right observation and it happens to be a pagan philosopher that discovered it okay that's fine useful tool um it's different though when you start talking about spiritual things when you start talking about moral things you start talking about things that um exist in the minds of sociologists philosophers psychologists uh, cult leaders etc you're not in the real world anymore and it's not about whether it conforms to reality it becomes now it's it's uh it's something you impose upon reality as a useful tool to help. Uh, it's a lens you put on or, or um, a tool you use uh, to uh, shape the world around you or understand the world around you. So you're putting on someone else's glasses that are foggy. And that's when it's it's not right. And so my understanding of the Enneagram, which is limited, I'll say, and but a lot of the kickback is, is that's also coming to this is that, look, this is a pagan tool. You know, you can't, you, you, you can't, what are we going to say next? You use the Dungeons and Dragons. You like what do you, what can you use, and it's acceptable. Um, so, I think it's fair. I think it's it's fair to point that out and to think about it. And I mean, so people will bring up things like Lord of the Rings. Like, look, you know, and I, which I, I just read Lord of the Rings last week. Look, there's a wizard in there. Okay, there's a wizard in there. Is Tolkien writing? What's Tolkien writing from? He's Catholic. So. Is he, you know, or is Catholic views making its way to Lord of the Rings? I mean, there might be. I didn't notice that. But it's it's a general, vaguely Christian, uh, Christian kind of parallel universe he's created. That's kind of what, and he's using the term wizard. But there really isn't like, is there supernatural stuff? Yes, there is. Um, some Some parents have had problems with that. But 
are the assumptions of Lord of the Rings, are the, uh, is the thinking behind that, that, you know, you too can become a wizard and control your destiny and control the natural forces around you using these occultic symbols or something is, or is it, is it an ordered universe and there happens to be a category for wizard and there's good wizards and there's bad wizards and you know Tolkien happened to use the word wizard which maybe I don't know if we should use that I don't know what the etymology of wizard is I think there's 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 a difference there um I think it's the difference between like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings too Harry Potter is exalting witchcraft uh as something very positive uh as and some of you might think Harry Potter's fine. I mean, this, these are things you have to ask yourself, and I'm challenging you to ask yourself. But we should have an affirmative standard, not a negative one. We should ask, how is it good? How is it helpful? Um, how does it meet the criteria of Philippians 4? Not, I, I, I think we get into trouble when we're kind of like, well, it's not that bad. Or it's not, you know, uh, we, we, we can, everyone that uh, has used it has always been pagan. But we, in the last, like, recent uh, very recent past have been able to utilize it for non-pagan purposes or something. You should probably be suspicious of that. So I tend to be against that stuff. I tend to be against, you know, using yoga. Yoga is the same thing. It's like, this was a spiritual thing and now it's, but, but some of the things called yoga, this is like where Gandalf was a wizard. Some of the things called yoga are just stretching. Like there is like, they're literally, they, they've taken all the things that made it yoga out of it to the point now it is just stretching. So I think that's the, the argument Joe Carter's trying to make here is that that's what you have with the Enneagram. My understanding is the Enneagram isn't like that. Oh, it's not like Lord of the Rings. It's not like stretching that's mislabeled yoga. It, it necessarily is based on uh, astrological things and paganism stuff. And so anyway, I, um, I don't know of anyone, I know this is popular, but I don't know of anyone in my personal circles that have talked about using the Enneagram. I just, I'm just not aware of, you know, is, is it really that popular? Um, I don't know. But people have been going after TGC for it. So I figured I would at least show you that. And if my ignorance of the Enneagram is, is showing, my apologies. Uh, that's, that's just what you get with someone who, um, I know more about Myers-Briggs than I do the Enneagram. And I, I don't like Myers-Briggs either. I'm, I'm just, uh, I don't know, I'm just me, you know? And part of that definition is I'm a man. <laughs> it's I wonder if there's people who are like, oh, you shouldn't be like saying that your your gender defines or your sex defines who you are that are then like, by the way, this is my number on the Enneagram. It'd be funny uh, as if that's like definitional to who you are. Uh, God defines who we are and it can't be quantified completely. You can know some things about it, but you're, you're not going to come up with like an abstract list of those things. You know it when you see it. And um, and, and that's uh that's what makes life to some extent fun and mysterious and you can live with someone for however many years and still get to know them in ways that surprise you you didn't know before and uh, and that's that's a cool thing so anyway god bless hope that was helpful um don't trust the gospel coalition okay dm bye Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.